Amen. What a beautiful, what a beautiful worship set this morning. Give God a round of applause. Isn't it good to be God in God's house today? And had the wonderful privilege last night at Hospice House of praying over one of our dear families. And I've been a deacon here at this church, Brother Tom Daniel, as he left the pain of this life and uh, in the blessed name of Jesus. And I'm so envious as we prayed and watched as he went into glory and saw the face of Jesus Christ. And we're going to tell you guys, not only is that day coming for all of us, and it's a blessed day, but we're going to tell you this morning how to be transformed uh, here in this life as well. We're talking to you in this sermon series about life's healthy choices. And so we're into week two of helping you guys figure out from God's Word, from the Bible, not philosophy, how to live our lives better and how God really does deserve desire to bless you and to help you learn how to be happy, but you got to do it his ways. And so we're learning how to make choices in our life uh, on a daily basis until that day that we get to go home uh, to be with him in glory. And it is about Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, last uh, Sunday we began this, uh, kicked it off a week late because I had COVID a few weeks ago. And here's the verse that we looked at uh, last Sunday. Blessed are you who are poor. Um, and some of y'all going, dang. I should have been here last Sunday because I relate to that verse, all right? And so he's talking about not just physical poor, we went over it last week, but poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. And last Sunday, if you want to catch up in your notes, uh, last Sunday, the summary of all of that is we called it the reality choice. Uh, the reality choice, and what we intended for you to gather, and, and, and this is the key uh, to letting God really help you be blessed and happy, it begins. You cannot skip step one. This, is, this has got to happen in your life and mine, is the reality is, and we share with you two big realities that we struggle with. The first reality is that you need to admit you're not God. You're not God. Quit trying to play his role. And then the second one that we helped you guys come to grips with is that we have to admit that we're not in control. The screw-ups in our life, y'all's personalities, you're driven by your hang-ups, by your habits, uh, all of this stuff that drives our lives, man, we have to learn to admit we're not in control. It's controlling us. And we can't get God's help until we get there. Now, i got to be honest with you. The first one um, is not a big issue for me. I already know all my life that, man, I ain't God. And uh, now some of y'all, y'all got a big head, and y'all walk around here, and y'all think you are God's gift. We see your social media posts. Thank you, but you ain't God. Uh, anyway, uh, but that's a struggle for a few of you. But uh, I think a lot of us struggle with the second one, admitting that man, I am, when I'm not in control, all of this baggage in my life keeps bringing me back down. And man, I struggle to admit. Isn't that just a tough word? We shared with you last Sunday three practical steps to admitting, to admitting the reality that you need God in your life and you're not in control. And they were tough. I'm not going to lie. It was easy. Matter of fact, here's what I want to illustrate all of that. This summarizes all of first message, reality choice, in a, in a word picture this morning, and I really want you to listen because I think it's going to connect, and I think that far too many of us look at this whole thing of Christianity like going to the dentist. You say, Pastor Terry, what are you talking about? I had to go to the dentist this week. 
And I know we've got a bunch of dental people that work here and uh, whatever they're called. Um, I don't you know, I'll say something inappropriate. Anyway, uh, but I really just want you to know I hate going to the dentist. Can I give you my couple of reasons that I don't like going to the dentist? Number one, start off with, it makes me mad as all, as all get out to go to the dentist <laughs> because one, I don't have dental insurance and I hate paying people to give me pain. Am I the only one? And I just got to know, by the way, as I go through my list this morning, if you love going to the dentist and when you go to the dentist, you just lay back in his chair and go to sleep, our friendship is over. I'm just telling you, I don't understand you. I don't like you. So I don't like going to the dentist, number one, because I got to pay for pain, okay? And so I'm just, I'm tight. So anyway, that's what I'm saying. The second thing is, is you walk in there and what do dentists do is they grab your mouth and they stick this big old needle in there. And so they got this needle in there that's like this and they put it in there and then they tell you and this calm, soothing, lying out their teeth voice, this may pinch a little, you think? And then the nurse or the doctor looks at you and they go, does this hurt? And I want to scream, but I can't because they got all their hands stuck down in my throat. And I want to scream. My, no, my eyes are just water and dot for their own. Uh, and, and anyway, and so they, they hurt you and they cause you pain. And, and then, but when you walk in there, the whole place is screwed up. What else do you walk into in your life? And they've got a tray sitting there with instruments of death laying on it. And so you're already freaking out. Ain't no way you touching me with those things. Uh, and, and sure enough, so they scare you and terrify you to death. But then my favorite part of all irritates me. And my daughter-in-law is one of these dental people. Is they, in the middle of having their elbow stuck down your throat, they look at you and they ask you questions. And you know what you all do is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, does this feel any better or is this uncomfortable, whatever. And all you can do with their shoulders stuck down your throat is go, huh? <laughs> did you, did you, uh, do we need to do this differently? <laughs> and so you're responding to them and somehow in dental school, they, they learn how to translate, oh, <laughs> And they go, oh, okay, we'll do that differently. I don't get it. So all of that is sort of my experience at going to the dentist's office, Jeannie. And so, unfortunately, in all seriousness, y'all look at Christianity and coming to church like going to the dentist. Y'all come or don't come because you know that you're struggling to follow God. You look at God in this relationship more like a dentist office experience than you do the way he intended it. And you all, in your mind, the devil lies to you all, and the devil tells you, if you go to church today, then you're going to experience pain. The bald-headed guy's going to yell at you. He's going to make you feel guilty for something. And so what do you all know to do? You all know. What do you do? You avoid it. So you show up, average church person now shows up once every seven weeks. And I'm convinced that this new age that we live in is that 
the generations that are here today is Gen Zs and, and millennials. It's just like, man, I do not want to feel guilty and pain in anything. And so, and, and it's the same reason y'all quit reading your Bibles. Those of you in the house, well, I go to church. Yeah, but how are you doing in the Word? Well, I ain't read the Bible in months. I ain't been spending any time in prayer. And why? Because I feel like I'm going to be painful experience. God's going to show me I got the wrong attitude. Stuff in my life hurts. And so you, with this whole reality choice, we suck at this. Man, I don't want to feel bad about anything, so we avoid it. Do you know what happens if you don't go to the dentist? It gets a lot worse. The pain doesn't magically go away because you avoid the dentist. The reality is, is they helped me this week. I needed to be there, they were good for me, and it made my life better by what I went through. Do you know how you need to look at church? Y'all need to quit avoiding it because it's not the dentist office. Do you know what church is like? It's like going to prison. <laughs> oh, great. Boy, that was a good one. Thank you for that sunny side up message. Dr. Joel in Texas would have a heart attack. Anyway, it's like uh, going to Texas, and here's what, what I mean by that. <laughs> Is you have habits, you have hang-ups, and you have a past that keep imprisoning you, and you keep living there. Going to church, doing your hear journals, joining a D group and a, and a connect group, Wow, I don't want anybody knowing what's going on in my life. Well, trust me, we already know, and it's not pretty. Go join one. Get some help, please, for all of our sake. And the truth is, we avoid all of these things, and we're not understanding. Going to church, this is why we're asking you to give us more than just one Sunday every two months, is commit to saying, I want to go to church, I want to read my Bible, I want to join a small group, because you know what? My habits, my hang-ups, my past, they keep imprisoning me. Every week, the devil brings you back into his prison, into his hell, and he controls you with your habits, your hang-ups, and your past. And Jesus says, come unto me and I will set you free. You see, coming to church is like walking out of the prison. Y'all with me this morning? Man, I'm telling you, coming to church, getting into the Word, getting into a small group, is God setting you free from the imprisonment of your habits and your hang-ups and your past, and it's smelling the fresh air that Jesus loves me. I am who he says I am. His name is wonderful. His name is powerful. And every John Brown week, we're going to remind you, it's time to get out of prison. It's time to be set free. Jesus wants to bless you and give you a better life. That's the way we need to view this thing, the reality choice. The reality choice, you can't fix it by your willpower. We need to surrender and let Jesus set us free. All of that said, that's week one. See, y'all should have been here. All right, number two is we're talking today about another choice, and that sets us all up for turning your Bibles to this transformation choice. We're going to see that if we learn how to make biblical 
the Beatitudes, healthy choices in our life, God wants to bless us and give us a much better life. Just let us go free from our prison. And we're going to talk to you this morning here in Luke chapter 6 about the transformation choice. This is choice uh, number two, the healthy choices that God wants to make in your life and mine. A little background on our text here in Luke chapter 6. We talked about some of this last week. Uh, Let's narrow it down a little bit again. Is that we... Uh, Bible scholars debate whether this was a separate sermon or, a, or, a, uh, or just a synopsis of Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5 is what we traditionally know uh, as the Beatitudes or what? The Sermon on the Mount. So I had this discussion on our pad- podcast this week. You need to go back and listen to it. It was a good one. And so Tanner said, uh, you announced Sunday that Bible scholars tell us that in Luke, uh, the argument is made that this was the Sermon on the Plain. And Tanner said, what plane were they on? Uh, He said, I didn't know they had uh, 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 planes in Jesus' day. And I said, oh, good one. Uh, We're not talking about American Airlines. We're not talking about where they can't land because of 5G. Uh, What we're talking about is we're talking about like the plane of Oklahoma, the planes, the flat planes. So you know what I did is I forgot to do on the podcast, but because I'm old, Y'all, anybody remember the 70s? So when you hear those words, what do you got to think about? The plane, the plane, the plane. All right, anyway, uh, so anyway, <laughs> it was a little short guy. All right, all right, never mind. All right, you can Google it later. But anyway, sorry. But uh, we're not talking about that kind of plane. We're talking about um, flat land. So the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we just lost half of you. Uh, so we're talking about Jesus is speaking to the multitudes. He's healed them all. A great text we gave you in Luke 6, 17 through 20. Jesus has healed them all, and now he turns in verse 20 and 21, and he says, I want to bless you. Listen to this, guys. I've healed you and showed you met your physical needs. Now let me help you learn how to be spiritually healthy people in this world I want you to be happy. And we shared with you guys in the original Hebrew, I'm sorry, in the original Greek, the word blessed is really more correctly translated happy. So as you read the text, Jesus is saying, healthy choice. Look at me this morning. Anybody in here want to be happy? Jesus, Jesus wants you all to be happy. It's time. It's time. Here's how he transforms you into being happy. Verse 21, blessed happy are you when you are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Now, Tanner and Andrew know this because we planned all this out last fall, but we were scheduled to do this last Sunday, Tanner, uh, on the day of fasting and prayer. So it would have really worked out, clicked out well. Uh, But the Holy Spirit had different plans because I got COVID the first uh, Sunday of the year. And so uh, what the Holy Spirit said is I need the crowd on the third Sunday or whatever today is. Uh, Y'all need to hear this. I'm just saying. So anyway, so we're going to give it to you today. We're going to follow that track. And so he says to you, you guys, I want you guys to learn how how to be happy. And in the text, uh, in the parallel text of Matthew chapter 5, uh, gives us a little bit more detail. Ver- uh, chapter 5 says uh, of Matthew, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the, the, the connotations there is he's saying, if you guys really want to be happy, then you need to hunger for Jesus. You guys got to get hungry 
for Jesus. He will give us, and we're not going to preach on this any further, uh, but he gives us the counter to this. He gives us not only four choices, healthy choices to make to be happy people in, in, in verses 20 and 21 and 22, but then he tells us the woes. And the four woes, uh, we're going to cover this now uh, today, the counterpart to that is seen in Matthew 6, 25, when he says, woe unto you who are full now. In other words, all those of you trying to find satisfaction in this life, he says, you're going to be hungry on the other side. You don't want to let this world fill you up. Because on the other side, you're going to spend eternity wishing that you had got hungry for me on this planet. And so he says, you need to woe. So, I mean, it's like, y'all watch, you remember watching the guy, uh, so uh, where's, where's uh, um, um, the Jackson family? This is like getting on the cow going, whoa! All right, all right, so are you with me, baby? All right, so we're going, whoa, baby! Uh, so anyway, he's saying, you don't want to do that here and now. We've got a better life for you. I told a cow, whoa, once and didn't go. All right, anyway, uh, so Jesus is illustrating to us today uh, about what it means to really get hungry for God at all costs. So what what does it mean to get hungry for Jesus? Let's just peel it down to where y'all live at. What does it mean to get hungry for Jesus? When I think of hunger and I think of the people in my life that I know here talk about hunger the most, the top of my list, Tanner Stahl, our music minister, for those of you who don't know him. And those of you who don't know, don't know him, Facebook friend him, and all you're going to see on social media feeds is the dude loves tacos. And he hungers for tacos so much. And if you've been part of our church, you know, we've, we, we, just, we just know it's, it's there. It's where we live at. But pray for him and his, wa- his wife and his kids. They live, their original home place was Arkansas. And they grew up in Russellville. So they travel back to see family in that other town, I don't know, Fayetteville or something like that. Anyway, they travel back to see their family and friends. And do you know they stop every trip, going and coming. Doesn't matter, rain, shine, doesn't matter, whatever. They're going to stop in Little Rock. And there's only one restaurant. Little Rock, believe it or not, you know, they advertise that they have hundreds and hundreds of restaurants, but not for the Saul's. Do you know that Ashley and the kids have never stopped at a Chick-fil-A and been able to play on the playground? Ashley and the kids have never been able to go to Chuck E. Cheese and Little Rock and have fun and have a good time and just, you know, relax and chill. Do you know that that great Odyssey minivan, every time coming and going, Miss Amanda is going to go to Tacos for Life? (laughs) And they're not going to go through the drive-thru. They're going to pull in there and they're going to spend hours because Tanner hungers for tacos. And the family, whether they like it or not, we're going to get tacos again. The kids don't even know what a hamburger looks like. <laughs> because Tanner hungers for tacos. And, and in all seriousness, I want to say all that because I want you to understand this is what Jesus is saying to you and I. I want you to get hungry for me. If you're really going to be happy, if you're going to overcome your habits, if you're going to come overcome your hang-ups, if you're going to overcome your past, then you need to get hungry for me. This is the transformation choice that you use to overcome your hang-ups, your habits, and your past. And it's a hunger for me. 
And the way we get hungry for God, you all ready for this? I guarantee you, I probably you've never heard a sermon. Get new people, y'all just hang on because we just preach the Bible here, whether you like it or not. And this morning, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, because we're going to go old school, Old Testament, and we're going to teach you what it looks like to be hungry for God. Genesis 32, if you're new here and you're not used to church and you don't have a Bible, man, welcome to Connect Church. We love seekers. We're going to put the Bible up on the screen for you, so you're good, dude. So you just hang in here with us. In Genesis 32, we're going to see where this guy by the name of Jacob. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with it, uh, Jacob is the grandson of of Abraham in the Old Testament. And Abraham is the patriarch that God gave an Old Testament covenant promise, a little theology here, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to multiply you. And this is important for you to get this. He said, I'm going to multiply you, and you are going to become the nation of Israel, and through you, I'm going to bless all the other nations. So Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, is a pretty significant character of the Bible. And here's Jacob's story. In Genesis 31, Jacob has went off to find him a wife. And Laban is a rich farmer back in the day. Man, he was killing uh, Alan. And, and so he's got this big old spread. And so Jacob goes to Laban and he says, listen, and he makes a deal. And you're going to find out Jacob was quite good at making deals, and he had some really bad personality flaws, and he was always manipulating God. So he says, if I work seven years, I want you to give me that pretty girl over there by the name of Rachel. Well, Laban was pretty good at lying and cheating as well, and so he worked seven years, and he gives him the ugly daughter. And so he tricks Jacob, and he gets married to the ugly wife and other ugly daughter, and he says, if you really want the pretty one, you got to work another seven years. So I don't know where the moral of that story is. We're not going there. But anyway, uh, I'm just saying I married the pretty one. Oh, no, anyway, uh, but anyway, so uh, your sisters are fine, too. Anyway, oh, dang, God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know, and they're watching online. I love you, Tressa. All right, anyway, uh, so, jeez. Uh, I'm an idiot. All right, anyway, that was not in my notes. Uh, and so anyway, oh my gosh, is it hot in here or is it just me? All right, anyway, so he gets, uh, he works another seven years and he gets the pretty one. I mean, it's just the Bible. Uh, and so he gets the pretty one and they, they get married and then uh, um, it didn't work out well. Laban's still like all over him, you know, just causing all kind of trouble. So Jacob does what any good man would do with a father-in-law that's, the, you know, that kind of guy. So in the middle of the night, he loads up Johnny, gets the two wives, pretty one and the ugly one. He gets the two wives, 11 kids, and all the goats and the sheep. And he tries to sneak out and get out of there and go to his own land and establish his own sort of kingdom. But you know what happens when you, try, any of y'all ever been on a road trip with 18 kids that some of y'all have? And so it's like, you know, you guys, Brandon, now loading up the van, you know, you got all those kids and all this stuff and it's falling out. I mean, there's nothing quiet about loading up that many kids. So they load up and sure enough, Laban hears it and, you know, and he's, oh yeah, what's happening? And so he's on the run. So he's got two wives, 11 kids, sheeps and the goat, and they're on the run and Laban's chasing after him because he hears it, you know, you know, I mean, you, you try to get all the goats and sheep because they're, ah, you know, ah, and so, you know, Laban hears it. That's the goat. 
Eh? Okay, anyway, uh, and so they're, they're on the run, and, and, uh, they're, and Laban hears it all, and so they're, you know, he's following the, eh? and so, so they're, they're out there chasing the goats and the sheep, and you talk about a conflict. Laban meets up with him, and Jacob's like, man, this is going down, and they have to cut a deal so that Laban doesn't kill him. And he survives that mark, and then he now leaves the Egypt area, and he's moving back into the homeland of his father Abraham. And guess what happens next by the end of chapter 31? He had a brother by the name of Esau. And for those of you that have not been to church, he had swindled him out of the birthright. And that's how he got all of his riches and stuff like that. And Esau hears that he's coming back to that area. So Esau mounts up and the messenger comes to Jacob and says, your brother is coming. And I'm telling you, he's bringing a whole army with him. So Jacob, being the deceiver, being this guy, the, the con artist that he was, he sends him a bunch of gifts. And he says, give him you know, some of the, the goats. And, uh, you know, send him some of that stuff. So they carry the goats and some of the sheep. And Esau says, "Uh uh-uh, no way. And the messenger comes back and says, he's got 400 men in his army, and he's coming to meet up with you, and it's going to be, you know, throw down. And it happens in chapter 31. By the time we get to chapter 32, Jacob is scared to death. He done left Laban. He's got the two wives. And now his brother Esau is bringing 400 men. As the old southern saying would be, the chickens have come home to roost. He's got to face up to Esau. Notice what Jacob does, hungering for God. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country to your kindred that I may do you good. So he begins with a prayer. What do you do when you have conflict and crisis in your life? Now look at me this morning real quickly, and we'll finish this out. But let me just throw this out here. Why is it that sometimes we have to wait? And why do we wait before we ever pray until it gets really bad? Am I the only one that ever does that? So it gets really bad, conflict and crisis in his life. He finally prays. He claims the promises of God. This is significant. Now verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of the deeds of the steadfast love, talking to God, and the steadfast faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Reality. For you, for with me, my only staff, I cross this Jordan, now become two camps. And now he prays the transformation. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me with the, mother, with the mothers and the children. And now, notice this. This is so co- cool. He says in verse 12, but you said, so he says to God, this is your promise, God. This is what you promised me. I will surely do you good and make you an offspring as the sand of the sea, back to his granddaddy's promise with God, which cannot be numbered by the multitude. Now here's the thing. Do you know that God uses your struggles to get your attention so he can make you happy. Let me say that again. God uses your conflicts and relationships to get your attention so he can teach you how to be happy. Now, don't do this publicly, but let me ask you, is there anybody in here having any kind of conflict in your marriage? I said don't hit him now. Is there anybody in here have or ever had any conflict with your kids? All right, go ahead and raise your hands, parents. Uh, All over the room. Uh, Have you ever had any conflict at your work? 
Now, if your boss is sitting in here, don't raise your hand. But we have all of these. <laughs> I see that hand, Tanner. Uh, uh, we, we have all of these conflicts in our life and relationships. And God is saying to you and I, what I want you to do is pay attention when you have these conflicts, just like Jacob had with Laban, his, the wives. Um, and, and, and could you imagine living in the house with the ugly one and the pretty one? I mean, that was not, a, that was stupid. So anyway, so Jacob's got conflict with his wives. He's got conflict with Laban, his father-in-law. He's got conflict uh, with his brother Esau. And in the midst of all of this, God says, I want to bless you and I want to make you happy. That don't make sense. But it does with God and you this morning. So the, the transformation choice in your life and mine is he says this happens as we become hungry for God. And here's one of the practical tools we're going to give you guys today about how to get hungry with God and to do what Jacob did. As you pray through your conflicts, you need to learn to pray Scripture into your life. You need to pray scripture into your life and do what Jacob did and claim the promises of God as your own. Let me tell you what it looks like. Uh, we were in my D group this past Monday and uh, Josh and, and uh, Brooks and, and uh, Tony and I were in there. And so Brooks would come back around. We're in John chapter six. We've had a great discussion. I mean, these guys are doing good. And Brooks just says, but I got to I got an issue. He said, um, man, I get the whole thing down. We're doing here journals, and we're going through the Gospel of John. So, man, we, he says, I got this down. Highlight what's the subject talking about in John chapter 6. Explain, you know, and so he walks us through, you know, and he used to be a Sunday school teacher, so he does a, a great explanation, write your own commentary about John chapter 6. And then what we've never done in church up until now is done application, and this is why we got so arrogant and full of ourselves and didn't need God, because we had all this knowledge, but we never took it home and made our marriages better and admitted that we were full of ourselves and admitted the way that we run in our families and doing everything else. The reason is not about how much you know, it's about the one you know. And when you know him, he shows you this is what you suck at. This is what needs to change in your life. Application, application, application. This is what needs to change in my life. So Brooke says, I got that down, man. You hammer that into us every week. But what I really don't understand is the R in the Here Journal. Anybody else with Brooks on this? The response. He says, what does that really look like? What do you mean? And I go, I am so glad you asked. And this is why you need to be in a D group because we don't judge you like the old days. We just say, let us come alongside of you and help you and love on you. And I said, you know what, you know what the response is, Terry? I said, I've just been learning this myself this year. It's praying the promises that I just read in his word back to God. And that is a sweet place to get to. When you begin to pray the promises of God back to him and you fall in love with him, I'm telling you, uh, the greatest thing in my life is every single day, whatever I'm reading is my response is, is God, uh, like this past week, I was reading about, uh, you know, in the Old Testament and I was reading about the stories of Abraham and how that he had messed up, but God had, you know, he constantly kept interjecting himself and then yet God would raise him up. And I said, God, I'm so thankful for your grace. I am praying the same grace that you had on Abraham to forgive him over and over again that you do for me, that'll put a smile on your face. 
when you begin to pray truth. Because you know what the devil tells me, Rebecca? The devil tells me, man, this is it. You crossed the line. You have failed for the 277th time, and you're out. And then I pray the truth and says, no, Abraham failed over and over again, and God forgave him, and he does the same for me. You guys need to quit listening to the liar and pray truth into your life. It'll change your attitude and your confidence in God. So the conflicts are to propel us to be hungry for God. And you know what happens when you begin to pray truth into your life? You know what happens next? God's going to test you. God wants to know, are you really serious about believing that truth that you just prayed into your life? Are you really serious about living this out and being transformed? Are you going to really believe in the truth, or are you going to keep listening to yourself? And you know what God's going to do? Is He's going to test you, and he's going to test you and see if you're hungry for him. Are you hungry enough to wrestle with God? Yeah, I said it. What? It's in the Bible. Look with me. Genesis 32. And here's where we want to land. And Jacob was left alone. And as a man wrestled with him in the breaking of the day, and when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. In other words, Jacob's been wrestling with his angel from God, messenger of God, all night long, and the messenger of God finally touches his I don't have time to preach on this, but Jacob would limp the rest of his life because of this experience, just as a reminder of being hungry and wrestling with God. That's an, just take that home with you. Then he said, let me go. The messenger of God says to Jacob, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, oh no, I'm hungry. Man, I want more of God. And so Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you what? Bless me. See where we're going with this? Ties right back into the sermon today. He says, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. I'm going to stay hungry for you until you bless me. And so he said unto him, what's your name? Oh, this gets good. And we're going to get there in a second. He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God. In other words, striven. All right, now look at me this morning. Translation from the original Greek in southern terms, wrestle. All right, you got it? So he said, you have wrestled with God. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's in the original Greek. Uh, and with men and prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. So Jacob asked the angel his name. He says, why is it that you ask my name? And he says, here's where the blessing comes from. So Jacob called the name of the place, Benal, which says, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob literally physically wrestles with God in Genesis chapter 32. Now, this is going to, some of you old school folks are going to get all offended and thinking, well, I just can't believe our preacher's talking about that. Well, open up your flipping Bible. He wrestles, wrestles with God. Am I the only one that grew, did y'all grow up as wrestling fans? And I know some of us are old school. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about, you know, the stuff that goes on today and MEA and uh, whatever, MEF or whatever they're called. I'm talking about, uh, and I have no idea what I just said, uh, but I'm talking about old school wrestling. When I grew up, we had Hulk Hogan. And one of my personal favorites, and never gets the attention he should, but he was a Billy Bad dude, was old Randy Savage. <laughs> All right, Randy Savage, man, that was a bad dude, dude. He would take out these sissies today, I'm just telling you. And then, a little bit later on, and this is the guy that most people get confused with me, is Stone Cold Austin. 
John, I, John, I've had, uh, <laughs> I've had women in airport come up to me and go, are you Stone Cold Austin? But, okay, okay. No, no, it really was a lie, Donut. Uh, it was actually a little kid that came up in the airport, and he asked me if I was Stone Cold Austin. And this kid, I promise you, I don't know how else to say it nicely, pretty sure his parents smoked a whole lot of crack in his house because this kid, I mean, this kid, he was he was a little short of the trip there. And anyway, uh, he just looked at me, but, um, and um, yeah, so uh, it doesn't really happen. But anyway, I'm just talking about wrestling. And, and so, uh, and I want you to get that word picture and visual because this is what it means to be hungry for God, is that we're going to wrestle with God until he blesses us. Now get out your notes real quickly, and we're going to wrap this up. And, and here's where we're going to apply this lesson of Jacob's story of wrestling with God, and I believe that this is really illustrating for you and I. This is an Old Testament visual illustration of the biblical theological teaching that Jesus is doing in Luke 6, is he is saying, this is how you become happy people, is this is how you become happy people who are hungry for God, is you learn how to wrestle with God. Number one, you get transformed, transformation happens when we move from conflict to crisis. Jacob and his wives and the goats ah, in the middle of the new land have just met up with Laban and now he's running from his angry brother Esau. Uh, Esau. His, this dude is wore out. He's emotionally a wreck. And then out of nowhere, in Genesis 32, God appears and wrestles literally, it's not figuratively, this physically happened, wrestles with Jacob. And you ask yourselves, all the conflict that Jacob was going through in his life. What about you this morning? All the stuff that you're going through is that God gets our attention and he really does want us to wrestle with him. You say, preacher, that's just inappropriate or whatever. I'm just telling you it's scripture. It's scripture. And so you've got to ask the question, if it's in the book, despite my southern politeness, if it's in the book, then maybe I need to listen and learn from it. And maybe, just maybe, Danny, the reason God puts this story in the Bible, there's a novel thought, is because he wanted us to learn from it. And maybe God loves when we wrestle with him. Because you know what happens when you wrestle? You get close. Maybe the reason God is allowing conflicts in your relationships. Oh, now we're fixing to get real. Your marriages, family, school, work. is because God is saying you're not in control. Your personality can't fix it all by your willpower. But your habits, your hang-ups, and your past keep defeating you. And the only way you can get freedom in your life, not the dentist, freedom in your life is to wrestle with God until he blesses you and sets you free. Y'all still with me this morning? I believe it makes sense, and I believe that that's exactly what Jesus was saying. I believe it's the story and the lesson from Jacob. And, and here's the thing. So let me ask you this morning. Maybe God is saying, and I think this happens, and I love you all, but can I just hit you sort of where it hurts this morning? 
We don't like wrestling with God. So you know what we do? We avoid church. Because as long as I'm having a good week and I didn't have all the problems, so my conflicts weren't at this level, then I'm just going to stay home today because I don't want to get too close to God enough to go to church and have the bald-headed guy yell at me. I'm not going to do my hear journals because, you know, I've tried to read the Bible before and I just don't get anything out of it because unlike what God says, apparently he doesn't make me where I could learn from the Bible. Maybe you need to spend more time wrestling and doing your hear journals until, and you hang in there until you get blessed. Well, I'm not going to join a connect group or start a D group because, you know, I'm not a good teacher. Let me say it for the 18,000th time. When you lead a group, a D group, you're not a teacher. We're not Sunday school. You simply study the Word of God, pray, and share what you've learned, and that's what a D group is. Woo. You can do it. Well, I don't want to join a connect group or a small group because I don't want people knowing my business because, you know, I'm me and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, we're tired of you being you and you need a new you. And so you need a small group of people who will love on you, pray into you. And when you go through the hell and your conflicts and all those other battles, you better be low and be sure you need a group of people around you that's going to encourage you, love you, and support you. Wrestle with God until he blesses you. Y'all need to quit quitting on God, and you need to dig in and go, I'm going to get back into the Word. I'm going to join back into a small group. Even if you've quit, welcome back. It's called grace here. Welcome back. Let's wrestle with God until he blesses us. Transformation in your conflicts. Number two, transformation happens when we make a commitment. None of this is going to do you any good this morning until we make a commitment that I want to be happy with God. I'm passionate about God. To be hungry for God means I get serious that I'm going to give God. Look at me this morning. Rather than just come once every two months, I, look at me this morning. I'm asking you to give us another Sunday. I'm asking you to come twice a month if you're only coming once a month. I'm just throwing the gauntlet down there. Seriously, I'm double-dog daring you. Get hungry enough for God that I'm going to come twice a month. Uh, man, I'm going to come to the midweek thing. I'm going to try that out. Get hungry enough for God and make a commitment that I'm going to try something differently. J Jacob hung on. I'm going to start tithing. What? Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, and by the way, let me just release you this morning. If God doesn't give you the income and the ability to give 10%, then don't give it. Never heard a preacher say that. I'm just telling you, you make a commitment that if God blesses you with a job and says, here's the 10% that I'm asking for your heart, then you give it. And if he doesn't give it to you, then don't give it. Commitment. Let him see what he wants to bless you and make you happy by being a part of his program. Number three, and then that, now we get to the good part. Y'all ready? And we're fixing to land the plane. But I'm telling you, this is good. You don't want to miss this. Wake up. Transformation happens when we confess. Transformation happens when we confess. Does anybody in here want to be happy? Y'all dead on me? Anybody here? Raise your hand. Does anybody in here want to be happy? Do you know how you get transformed to being happy people? Is you own it. Now this is cool. Jacob is wrestling with the angel of God. Are you tracking with me? And he... And the angel of God looks at Jacob. Whew. 
I got goosebumps because this is getting really holy ground stuff here. The angel of God looks at Jacob and he says, what's your name, boy? It's in this southern Greek here. And he says to Jacob, what's your name, boy? And Jacob, and he knows, by the way, you understand God knows all your conflicts, your hangups, your habits, and your past anyway, so why you keep running from him? And so he says, what's your name, boy? And you know what Jacob says? He goes, sir, my name's Jacob. And the angel just sort of smiles, I'm confident, and he goes, you said it well. By the way, what you all don't realize is in the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, do you know what the word and the name Jacob meant? Some of y'all been to Sunday school, remember, it meant deceiver. Jacob's name, this is who he is, I am a deceiver. This is who I am. And the angel makes him call it out. Folks, y'all can't get right with God. He can't bless you until you own who you are. This is who you are. But then, whoa, hang on now. Now we're talking about gravy. Number four is the transformation happens when you get his identity. You see, he's fixing to give Jacob a new name. What happens in the text, we just read it, is that J Jacob's hanging on. He's hungry for God. He's not giving up till God blesses him. And guess what happens next, Mike? The angel of God says, you know what? Because you, the, the Hebrew word, the Greek word there is striven. I'm telling you, it means wrestle. Uh, it, 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 so he says to him, he says, because you hung on, because you're hungry for me, guess what I'm going to do for you, Chris? I'm going to give you a new name, son. You're no longer going to be called Jacob. And look in the text. He says, you know what your new name is? Y'all ready for this? Man, I got goosebumps all over me. Your new name is Israel. Anybody ever heard the name Israel? Anybody heard the name Israel? What is it? That's the country, preacher. That's the, the people of God. Yes, that name has never been mentioned before. Do you know where the Israelites come from? They come from the name of Jacob. His name is now going to be named for an entire race of people that God will what? Bless and make happy to all the nations. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you're all landing with me here this morning, but here's the really cool part. God has written me down and given me a new name. My new name is not Terry Pierce of 1972 when I was a sinner headed for a devil's hell. My new name has been written down in heaven. My new name is written in glory I've got a new name I've got a new name and I am who Jesus says I am ladies and gentlemen that's what it means to be transformed he's given us a new name let go of your habits let go of your hang-ups let go of your past because I'm telling you I've got a new name and it's written down in glory and it's mine and it's mine. This morning, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to the transformational choice. Get hungry for God. Get hungry for God and let him give you the blessings of a new name. When our boys were little, we lived in a parsonage in Georgia. And it wasn't a really good Free Will Baptist church because they had a swimming pool at the parsonage. And in those days, Free Will Baptists were against swimming. Because you know what? We didn't do, you guys are not even, you, this is really gross, but this is what we used to preach in the church. Um, listen, our church doesn't believe in mixed bathing. Isn't that stupid? 
I said some of that crap before, is that we don't believe in mixed bathing. Well, yeah, I don't believe in mixed bathing either. I may, anyway, uh, so, but, but we were, we're not supposed to wear shorts and all that stuff, and that's how stupid it was. But we were sort of a liberal Frail Baptist church. We had a pool, and we swam. We didn't bathe, but we swam. So stupid. And um, one of my coolest parts of being a dad was having my kids, Mark, line up on the diving board. And all three of our little boys, and they were little tykes in those days. Aaron was the oldest, so he'd be first. And I was out in the pool. I wasn't in the deep end because I was truly free old bad. I didn't know how to swim. But I got to the edge. And I was wearing shorts and going to hell. Anyway, and so, uh, and I was out by the edge of the deep end. And Aaron was first, and I called his name, and Aaron got up on the diving board. And, of course, Aaron was terrified to be off the ground, so he was just like, uh, and so, and I called his name, and, and I didn't say Andrew or Adam. I just said Aaron, and he was so proud because Daddy called his name. I said, Aaron, you're first, and today you're going to dive off the diving board, son, and you're going to dive off into the deep water, but it's going to be okay. You're going to have the time of your life. You're going to be happy, and sure enough, Aaron you go do it. And so Aaron dove off the diving board and into the deep water. And he comes up out of the water and into my arms. And his face lit up and he thought he had conquered the world. Because when you dive in and your daddy knows your name, it's good. It's a good place to be. And then I looked at Andrew and and of course, Andrew, this was our whole life. I never, you know, I called his name and Andrew never even waited. He just dove off because Andrew never listened. And Andrew dove off in the deep end, as only Andrew would do. And he just comes sliding out of the water, and he's like a fish. And he just comes up, and he dives into Daddy's arms. And I called his name. And I said, Andrew, and he just lit up. And then I get to my youngest son, Adam. And he's little bitty tight. And Adam don't get excited. He don't get depressed. He just, Adam, just, you know, whatever, diving board swimming. That's cool. And I called his name. I said, Adam... (laughs) Dude, you're the last one. You ready to dive in? Adam's like, whatever, cool, no problem, no problem. Adam just falls over in the water. It's Adam. Wasn't going to use any energy. And he comes swimming through that water, and he comes up into my arms. And all three boys chopped. Face were lit up because Daddy knew their name. Daddy individually cared about all three of them. And they had the time of their life because they dove into the deep water and they let daddy love on them and take them to a whole new level of fun. Why are you guys not diving in, getting hungry for Jesus and running to the father who's given you a new name? And I promise you, if you will, he'll make you happy. Shall we stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a tremendous truth in our lives today. You want to transform us into being happy, blessed people. Fathers, we sing a verse of invitation. Folks came in the first service, God, and decided, I am choosing today. I'm going to get back to wrestling with God in my hear journals. I'm going to get back to joining a small group. I'm going to wrestle with God until he blesses me. I'm going to get my butt back in church, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to wrestle with God until he blesses me. God, I want you. I want you, and I'm diving in. If you need to come this morning and dive back into God's blessings, folks, now's the time.
He loves you. This is not the dentist office. This is being set free. Would you come today as we sing? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.